Remember it like it was yesterday. Because you can't forget things like this when they happen. The nervousness, the enormity of the situation, sweaty palms, shaky hands. It's still one of the largest purchases I've ever made. And by far at that point, it was the largest purchase I had ever made. And I remember walking in to see Brian. Uh, He was uh, a buddy of mine, Dwight's friend. And Dwight had heard what I was going to do. So he sent me over to see Brian. I walked into his little shop not knowing what I was going to get myself into, hearing about VS1 and SI1 and VS2 and VVS2 and uh, SI2 and and E in color or G in color. See, this was the biggest decision aside from falling Christ that I actually just had made maybe three years earlier that I ever was going to make. I was 22 years old. And as I walked in, I made the decision on this. A center round, brilliant cut is an ideal cut diamond with hearts and arrows of symmetry. This diamond measured 5.05 millimeters by 5.09 millimeters in diameter, a weight of a half a carat. Its proportions are excellent. Its symmetry, symmetry excellent. Its clarity in SI1 and an SI2, and its color was E. So I, I did it. I made this decision, an SI1, SI2 diamond, and its value, what I purchased it for, was $2,074.48. Appraised at $3,621.81. That's the, the, the appraisal on it, so that's why. I still have it even. I didn't lose it. And supposedly, I got a screaming deal on this, right? I mean, that's like, you know, $1,600 off what its value was. And I didn't even realize maybe how good of a deal I got on the ring, yes, but even more so as I figure out in my life how good of a deal I got on my bride. I still, each day I get to learn how great that deal was for me. But this diamond, uh, even though at its value and what it cost me, even at that price, it was flawed. That's what that that uh, grade is, SI1, SI2. That means, you know, it's down the spectrum a little bit and that there's flaws in this diamond. And I would say, and what I was told at the time, and I remember it specifically because I was like, well, I don't want a flawed diamond. Like, is, she, is this girl that I want, is she gonna want a flawed diamond? Like, it's got flaws in it. But I learned even the toppest scale, the VVS1, still has flaws in it that there is no diamond out there that is flawless. So despite its flaws, Heather, who's downstairs with the kids, still wears it today. She still wears the ring. And the story actually goes that I had bought the ring with that single diamond set in it, and through some conversations after I had bought it, I had found out she wanted a three-diamond set. So on a napkin, I sketched a little drawing of how the jeweler, my friend of friend, Brian, was going to add two diamonds to this ring, a diamond on each side. This past week, on Thursday specifically, Heather and I celebrated our 15-year anniversary. Yep. Yep. We had a great night, got a babysitter. I think it was like about a year ago that we got a babysitter last time which happens when you got the little ones, but we had a great night. 
but still, Heather wears this ring, and still, even the most valued relationship, the, the relationship that I have, the relationship with my wife, even how valuable it is, the focal point of it, the icon, the image that we have is flawed, just like my marriage. It's flawed, right? Heather and I do not claim by any means to have it all figured out. We just did that marriage class here as a church, had 16 couples sign up for this marriage class. And often from the front, I was able to share the things that I struggled with and the things that I am working on in marriage. So much like the ring, uh, our, our, our marriage is, is flawed, but yet still very high in value, right? The truth is here at CTK, we have a slogan that we live by, uh, one, one of many that we, it's not part of our mission or our vision, but it's a slogan that maybe you've heard me say it before uh, or you've heard it someplace else. Uh, it started, it originated with a college ministry that was meeting downtown, and the slogan says this, no perfect people allowed. That there is no perfect people allowed here in this church. Can I get an amen for that? All right, good, because if you thought maybe you are here today and you think that you're perfect, I want to give you the opportunity to now get up and walk out if you think that you're perfect, because we really hold, t- Philip, Dakota, we really hold tight to this value because we realize that we're all flawed. We all have the issues in our lives, mistakes we've made, blemishes, imperfections, the things that we wish weren't true about us, habits that we've formed in our lives. And we own that in this environment. And it's a part of who we are because of it. Not one of us is perfect. Not one of us has it all figured out in our lives. And actually the Bible tells us that uh, once uh, Adam and Eve were hanging out in the garden and they were enjoying their first fruit salad, uh, and it was at that point that mankind became flawed. I want to read to you a little bit of Genesis chapter 3 as we get into this. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat of any tree in the garden? The woman said, we may, eat a fr- we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. <laughs> you will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and, when, uh, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil." When the woman saw the fruit of the tree, it was good, uh, good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you were in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? 
Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, blame starts. The woman put it here with, the woman put you, or uh, the woman put you, put you <laughs> the woman you put here, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. Another blame game going. So the, God, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, and he cursed the, ser- he cursed the serpent, he brought childbirthing pains to the woman and toil and work to the man, and we were uh, cursed. From that moment, flawed on the decisions that we make. We were flawed from that moment. Man and wife were strolling along, and the snake entered the picture, and literally hell broke loose, right? And we see... Probably one of the clearest pictures of what sin and our flaws do to us. If we look at verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, it'll be on the screen. When the, when the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. We hid from God. Right? That is what our flaws do to us. Our flaws cause us to hide, cause us to actually, in this case, seek separation from God. And that's on us. And God, we see it in the garden uh, that he actually pursues us, that he actually calls out to us. Hey, Adam. Hey, yo, Adam, where you at? Here, We aren't playing a game of hide and seek again, are we? That's what God says to him. Not that literally. But it enters the shame when we start uh, and we we are ashamed of ourselves. And we can't uh, bring uh, who we are in front of God. We can't bring it in front of him because we're ashamed of it and we believe that we, we just can't enter into that place and we hold on to it and we avoid coming before God. But church, that is so wrong of us for us to do, right? God actually still comes for us and wants us and desires to be in relationship with us. And it didn't go down, it didn't go down like this. It didn't, God didn't say, oh, whoa, hey, what's up with the fig leaves? Like, that's not, that doesn't even look good on you. Like, that's not why I created you. That's not even how I created you, right? Man, you just messed it all up, I'm out. You know, and he walks off. That's not how God did it. God actually pursued Adam, went after him, called to him, called him out of hiding. God actually cared for them. We see later on in Genesis that God actually sews them some garments and some clothing, and then ultimately caring for all of us and loving us to the point where he sent Christ to remedy our sin to bridge the the flaws that we may have in our lives. Church, it is the actions of God that I'm most excited about for our summer series that we're kicking off today. The summer series called Flawed. It is the actions that God displays and will display throughout this series that I'm most excited about. We've been kind of nurturing and working through this series as a network 
for probably six to eight weeks. CTK Sudden Valley, CTK Downtown, CTK Ferndale, North Bay, we're all doing them together. We've all joined together to do this series. And, and I'm, what, one of the things I'm really excited for is actually you're going to hear from some of the other network pastors during this series. Rob from CDK Downtown is going to come out here one Sunday. Rich from Ferndale is going to come out here. I'm actually heading out to North Bay on August 20th to do, us, to do one of the sermons for them out there. And we've, we've worked together and we've been working through this series uh, and, and we're all super excited about what's going to happen and what's, what's going on. We're going to look at a, a chapter in the Bible, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is a list that's in the Bible of the, some of the greatest people. People say it's like the heroes of the Bible. Right? That was one of the original pitches for the, for the uh, title of the sermon series for us. But this fits so much better. It's, it's this list of heroes, people standing in the Hall of Fame when it comes to what they've done, legends even, and some of the greatest acts that have happened in the Bible. And we're going to go through Hebrews 11, and we're going to look at 11 or 12 of those names. I think there's upwards of 20 that are mentioned in there. And we're going to look at who they are, and, 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 and we're going to see what they've done but this is what I'm really excited about, that we're actually, they aren't the ones that are the heroes in any of the stories. Oftentimes we can see these Bible stories and we can be like, oh, I want to be more like David. Like, I want to be the one that slays the giant when really I'm the one shaking in my armor, right? And God gets to be the hero. And that's one of the greatest things about each one of these uh, people that we're going to look at throughout this series. That one, they were all flawed, Every single one of them flawed in their own way. But it was the actions of God, and the title of the chapter is By Faith. By Faith, their messed up life, lifestyle, their messed up beliefs, their choices, their past, their presence, their whatever they were presently dealing with at the time, become, by faith, amazing stories of how God works but by faith. And we're going to see how God uses flawed people who are willing to walk with him by faith. God uses flawed people who are willing to walk with him by faith. So what I can promise you is this. It's going to be a great series. We're going to have a bunch of flawed people share with you, starting with Sarah next week is gonna share with you. And, and me this week, I'm flawed, you know, and we're going to have a, a, a good amount of people come roll through here. I'm going to do five or six of them myself, and we're going to look at how flawed people walking with God by faith can do amazing things and how that applies to you and the lives that we have uh, in, in accordance to Christ and what he did for each one of us and used to God's perfection. Hebrews 4.16 uh, reads this. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Each one of the people that we, were looking, we will look at this week, except for maybe one. I'm actually trying to figure out one. I drew names and I drew, and maybe you can look at the chapter and tell me which one you think maybe I was like, where is his faith in God? 
but working on that one myself, but, uh, but that in confidence they approached God, God's grace for them despite their flaws. Confidence that in their time of need, God would use them, each one of them. I think sometimes we get stuck on just how needy we are, how much flaws and, and things we're working through in our lives that we don't feel like God could use us for anything. And I think over and over we'll learn different levels of this through all the different people. It's not going to be the same message every week, but we're going to learn how these people work through this and that even though they were stuck and in need, God was able to use them. Because when we do that, when we in a sense live our lives where we think we're too, there's too much going on, we're too needy, we're too flawed in our lives, what we do in that situation is we devalue the work that Christ did for us. We actually put a monetary value on that work. It's only good to about here, and I'm way above that, so Christ's work in his death doesn't actually work for me because I'm too broken, too flawed. We devalue the work that Christ had done on, on the cross. I had a, I had a chance to, the, over the past few weeks to read the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. And I would actually encourage you to do that because it's amazing. Chapter 11, yeah, we get this by faith, by faith, by faith. And in fact, here in Hebrews 11, this is what it, this is what it reads here. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice. By faith, Enoch was taken from his life so that he could experience death, but he could not be found because God had taken him away. By faith, Noah, when warned about things yet unseen, in holy fear built an ark. By faith, Rahab. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. Joseph. By faith, Moses. We're going to learn about all of those. That by faith, what they did in, in God. So I encourage you, because up till chapter 1 to chapter 10 explains the magnificent work that Christ did on, a, on the cross for each one of us. The value of that. And then in chapter 11, we get to see what happens when you put your faith in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews. And it's a list of people that put their faith in what happened and then went on to live amazing lives. But in reading this, I found the purpose of what Christ did for me even more. And that's why I challenge you to do that. Because oftentimes we can just sweep the work that Christ has done for us under the rug. Like it's not that big of a deal. And it doesn't apply to me all the time. Some of the time when I need it, when I, when I feel like I haven't messed up too much or, I, or, I, or I've only messed up a little bit, then we can do that. But oftentimes we, we tend to sweep the significance and the, and the enormity of what Christ did for each one of us, devaluing it. But in actuality, Christ's death went into play for all of it. Every single thing, as messed up or as, as little as it might be, putting our faith in Christ in that it gets us to God's per Perfection. See, it's when, when we not only see that, but we actually believe in it. Let me scratch that back a little bit. We don't enter to God's perfection, right? We, we are good through God in the per perfect work that Christ did on the church, for the church. 
It's when we not only see that, right? In James, it actually says that even the demons believe that Christ is God. Even the demons believe that. So it isn't only believing that. It isn't only knowing it. It's faith in it, right? Faith is believing in, not believing that, but actually believing in. It's only believing that God is who he says he is. It's not only understanding that God, who God is based on this book. It's actually, as James said, believing in it. And James also puts it this way. But someone will say, James 2.18, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Faith is believing in and because of that belief, it's acting on. So every morning, if you didn't know, if you, I, I had some knee work done, right? I was, I was laid up for a while. Every morning, I have to have faith that when I place my feet on the ground, they're going to hold me up. Sometimes it's a little shaky for me these days as I'm still recuperating. But for you guys, all of you guys walked in this morning and sat down in these chairs. Did you think about whether the chair would hold you up? You probably heard that analogy before. Well, I got to put faith in the chair that it's going to hold me up. Right? We put our faith in a lot of things. But actually acting on it is another thing. And that's what James, and that's what these, these people in Hebrews, these, these people of faith, us, when we place our faith, it's actually acting on the faith that we have in what Christ did for us. We need to approach God with confidence, as it said in that verse in Hebrews 4.16. Approach God with confidence. We need to believe that in him, he will do what he will do in our lives. We need to not hide or hoard or ignore or disobey. I love the analogy of the, the, the father saying, obey my commands. Like when we don't obey God's commands, it's actually us saying, ah, we don't really believe in what you're saying anyways. Like I've got my own plans and some stuff that I just actually want to do, so I don't believe in that, which is often what my kids do for me. Um, so just checking to make sure you're awake. Um, no, but th that's what we get to do. We actually obey God's commands when we hear them. Choosing to live according to his promises and his commands. First John 2, 3 through 6 says this. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in this person. But if anyone obeys his words, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we, are know, we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Jesus being the example for each one of us and how he lived his life and the example for us and how we should live our lives. If we place our faith and trust in Jesus... We do what Jesus did. We do what God commands. See, listen to this, church. God's story is displayed in the actions of what our life produces for his glory. 
Let me say that again. God's story is displayed. So what people see of God is displayed in the actions of what our life produces, what we do in our lives for his glory. Because we do plenty in our lives that doesn't bring glory to God. And that, and then, as Christians, followers of Christ, then displays that Christ to people. You follow me? But if we're able to display the actions of Christ that brings glory to God, we are obeying his commands. And in tune, right Christ, the one that walked as an example for each one of us, is displayed by our lives. And none of the people in this list of Hebrews are better for what they did. Moses, Abraham, Abel, all these people, they aren't better for what they did. God is better and bigger and stronger and more gracious and more merciful because of what they did. Jephthah. Who knows who Jephthah is? He made the list. We'll get to hear about Jephthah, right? It's because it's God's story, right? It's God's story. In Hebrews 11, all the people that are listed there, that's not the story of Moses, the story of Abraham. It's the story of God and what he's done. And for us, our lives is the story of God and what he's doing in our lives. His story displayed, or is it? Oftentimes what's driven me in ministry is, is the life that I live and the, the, the choices that I make, the way that I work, the way that I live, the way that I interact with people is the closest people are gonna see of Christ. And if I do a poor job at that, their view of Christ is way off. But if I do the best job that I can, that is the closest sometimes of what people are gonna see in who Christ is in their lives. And sometimes really the only view of God that they're gonna see in his faithfulness, full of grace and, and mercy displayed through us. He is only as big as the confidence that we place in him. He is only as big as the confidence we place in him. Hebrews 11, one through three. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and in assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. It's not made out of what we do. It's made out of what God does. Right? That we have the confidence in what God is doing, what he has done, what he will do, and the assurance that he will do it again. That we have such confidence that his story is, is, is what is being written for people to see. That despite whatever I've done, despite whatever's gone on in your life, despite whatever flaws you think you have, that no matter what you're facing, he is the one who's laying it out for people to see. And he is the one that's working through it all. It's only in our confidence and ability to trust in that that we are able to, lay, to live out 
and be labels of, of heroes of the faith. That God becomes the hero in even our story. See, I think sometimes we worry about God wanting us to do big things. Like if we look down that list of the things that each one of those people did, they did some huge things as they're part of their story. Moses and Samson and all these people, right? Did some huge things. And I would say that that isn't true. That God doesn't actually want you to step out and and make this big grandiose decision to do something out of the ordinary, like sell your house and move or like, I mean, he will work in those and it'll be great. But actually what God doesn't, what God wants us to do is to make him big in our story. Even in the little things, even in the day-to-day and even in the way we live our lives, God wants us to display him in a big way rather than stepping out in this big, huge way in our lives, looking for this, these huge opportunities. Sometimes those huge opportunities are actually a little easier to take that step out because you know you wouldn't have planned it yourself. Like in case me taking this. I had worked for Costco for 15 years. And I left Costco. I walked out, at, I walked out of high school at 18, started working at Costco in you know, 15 years later, decided, oh, I'm done with Costco. I, I think I'm going to plant a church. Like six of us, let's just start around our dining room table. Like, and people are like, man, that must have been an amazing, you know, faith thing for you. Like to trust God in that way. I'm like, no, it's actually, that wasn't even my plan at all. It made it really easy. But in the day to day, sometimes it's a lot harder for me to just make those decisions to live by his commands and to obey his, his word in our lives. Those are, the, those are the times, you know, just with my finances, or just with uh, my resources, or just with my time, my day-to-day time, you know, the, the little decisions each day, making God first in him, taking that time and, and giving him that time in my life, makes him big and makes me just making decisions, following his command and putting my faith and trust in who he is. So church, that's what I want for us as we go through this series. We're gonna look at Hebrews 11 and we're gonna look at the different people in the Bible that God has used in amazing ways. We're gonna hear, you're gonna hear stories that maybe you haven't heard about Jephthah, right? And about Abraham and about Moses and we're gonna look at them in new ways because by faith, God used them to do big things. And I want you to hear this today as we walk through this series together. By faith, God has big things for you. But it's making him big in your life that you can accomplish those things. Letting go of whatever it is that you have for him. Let's pray.